One of the few surviving prologues to a Shakespeare play, the opening lines of Romeo and Juliet offer the play's iconic image of star-crossed lovers. However, before introducing the plight of his tragic couple, Shakespeare's prologue presents a detailed image of the world in which his lovers will exist. They are first introduced as members of two households, who we are told are of equal dignity or status. The ancient grudge between the Montague and Capulet families is well known to audiences of the play as a cause of Romeo and Juliet's tragic end. Less attention is given to the feud as it is described in the prologue's fourth line, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. The word civil, in this instance, is synonymous with citizen, which in Shakespeare's time was less a marker of national identity than of having attained a level of respectable professional status directly linked to obtaining a particular degree of legitimacy within a trade. By constructing a world of family, civic, and vocational identities, the first four lines of the prologue situate Romeo, Juliet, and their play within these three types of institution, which lay at the centre of early modern urban society. When we think of class, we usually talk about economic distinctions such as rich versus poor. However, the social culture of early modern London is far more diverse than this simple dichotomy allows. As the capital of government and trade, Shakespeare's London was a melting pot of people from every conceivable walk of life, from the poorest vagrant to tradesmen, gentry and even the Queen herself. Act 1, Scene 1 of Romeo and Juliet depicts a world similarly inhabited by people from a variety of backgrounds and social groups. What begins as a private quarrel between servants of rival masters soon includes gentlemen, citizens of Verona, and finally a prince. In this opening confrontation, examined in detail later in this chapter, battle lines are quickly drawn and the audience realises that Verona is a place where knowing who everyone is goes beyond simple familiarity, and the determining of friend or foe is necessary for survival. Shakespeare and his contemporaries also lived and worked in a system intently focused on regulating behaviour through defined parameters of identity, which governed activities, friends, accommodation and even clothing. The idea that a person could be judged by their apparel job, family or neighbourhood is not unfamiliar to modern society. However, in Shakespeare's time many of these rules were made by the government through either the Crown or Parliament. There were statutes of apparel or sumptuary laws that required people to wear clothing and accessories whose cost coincided with their status. For example, only the monarch, members of their immediate family, and those bearing the titles of Duke, Marquis or Earl could wear the colour purple, cloth of gold, or furs made of sable. Other statutes prohibited people below a certain status from carrying swords, daggers or rapiers. There were even rules controlling the movements of certain people. Groups who contested authorities such as the recusants, individuals who refused to attend Church of England services, whom we encountered in Chapter 1, were prohibited from travelling further than five miles from their homes without a licence by an act in 1593. Unemployed, so-called masterless men, and vagrants found outside their hometown or parish could be arrested and sent back to their designated place of residence to be punished.
In addition to such government regulations, the social, civic and professional institutions mentioned in the prologue also operated under clear rules, official or implied, that similarly shaped the lives of early modern Londoners. For instance, a first-born son could expect to inherit the largest portion of his family property, be it a tailor's shop, an earldom or even a kingdom. Chapter 2 in our epilogue discuss Shakespeare's interest in royal succession and inheritance in Richard II and Henry VIII, but these issues were equally important to the working classes. Achieving status as a citizen or free man, a recognised member of one of the professional organisations or guilds,